welcome to the TV Kids Festival. I'm Kristen Brzezowski, Executive Editor of TV Kids, and I'm speaking with industry veteran Tom Ashheim. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm great, Kristen. How are you? I am delighted to have you with us and so glad that you can be part of the TV Kids Festival. You've been in this business a long time and have led some of media's most iconic brands. So what's your view on the overall health and vitality of the current kids content sector at this particular moment in time? I think you just called me really old, but I, I appreciate the call out to all the experience. And I think if, I guess if we were gonna ask Dickens and be really cliched, right? He'd say it's the best of times and the worst of times. And for most of my friends and colleagues, it feels worse and I know that. And I've, so many of us have been struggling either to get content made or to keep platforms alive. It doesn't feel very good. And um, it reminds me of a long time ago. So this is what I've been thinking about just a bit, which is when I was a small kid in the 70s, uh, all of kids' television was pretty much confined to Saturday morning. And when it was on Saturday morning, it was on three big platforms. It was kind of kept in a corner. And it was not our most robust moment in the kids' media landscape. A lot of programming had to sell toys in order to survive. It was not a great moment of innovation. And um, it was not a great moment for kids. And uh, we similarly have some very large platforms right now who seem to have put kids a little bit in the corner. And I think uh, what I would say, the therefore why I feel some hope about being potentially the best of times is you need a moment like this to create a renaissance. And I think we are poised for a breakthrough in how we re-reach children. It's been a long time since we've done something remarkable and, and we're due. So I remain optimistic. Let's talk about some of the ways that we do reach children. What shifts have you seen firstly in what kids are watching these days, but also then in how they are watching? Chris, it's such a great question, but in some ways, I'm not sure you can answer them separately, right? They are really so interwoven and platforms forever have really dictated to some extent the kinds of content that kids watch and how they watch at the same time. And, you know, back when cable erupted and we had Nickelodeon and Cartoon and the Disney Channel taking off, it really changed the way people made programming. And they talked a lot about different kinds of kids watching different kinds of content, but it was also really that the platform enabled them to do so. And so right now we have the leading kids platform is YouTube. And on YouTube, we don't tend to start with scripted content as the place we all think of, right? That things are shorter. A lot of it's real people talking. We also, of course, have gaming and TikTok, even though I know our children aren't supposed to be there. So I think the question we should all ask ourselves is, is this the new taste for kids or is this what they find on the platform? And um, forever, parents have had a slightly complicated relationship with television. It's the thing that they know their children need and it's the thing that parents need because it occupies them when they need to take a shower or do anything important or unimportant. Um, and it's also a great way for kids to learn and grow as we all know too. I think that because the YouTube platform and the other social and gaming platforms are so mobile, it's really changed the way kids consume. And I guess my question to myself is that forever the only way they're going to watch and the only way they're going to uh, consume? I don't think so. I think that we all need to be mobile and we all need to have content that is um, got some of the lo-fi authenticity that comes from places like YouTube and the interactivity that comes from gaming. But I think scripted is forever going to be here. Tell me a story is still one of the great uh, questions children ask grownups for good reason. It's one of the great questions grownups ask grownups. So I think we will find over time a more dedicated platform that's got some of the best of what we see currently, but also brings back some of what we all know and love. And speaking of that, some of what we all know and love, are known brands still really 
comfortably where it's at? Or how can a brand new original piece of IP break through in what's a challenging market? Also a really good question. You must've been thinking about this. The, um, well, the two, as far as I know, based on the research I've seen, the two most popular shows of the last few years on television, I think are Bluey and Coco Melon, um, neither of which come from existing IP. So clearly there's a path for new and original work to break through. Um, it would be misleading to say that's the norm. It's not the norm, right? Those are two really good pieces of content that have found novel ways to reach their audience. And um, that's not always the case. It helps to have stuff that's known for a lot of reasons, partly because uh, when, we're re when we're marketing to kids, which has gotten ever more complicated, we also want to market to parents. And so when we market to parents, things with known and familiar IP go a long way toward making something sample. And we, in the last job I had at Warner Brothers, we were doing a lot of working with content that was very, very well known. And shows like Bat Wheels, which is a preschool interpretation of Batman, did very, very well for HBO Max. And it makes a lot of sense. And parents remember Batman and love it, but kids loved it too. Um, there's a new, I will do one shout out for my old friends. There's a new show that just uh, started as a movie on Amazon called Merry Little Batman from the folks at Warner Brothers Animation that's going to become a series. It's a fantastic piece of content. And I think that's the key, which is, it always has to be good. It always has to be interesting. It always has to feel new to the audience. If it's just IP that feels there because somebody knows its name, nobody cares. If it's a really interesting reinterpretation, I think it can do really well. So I guess long answer to your question, it helps to have something that's known. It's not required. And I just think in either case, it has to feel novel. And that's something we all have to keep working on. For these new properties or even new iteration of legacy franchises, discoverability is still one of the challenges of today's market, maybe even more so today than ever before. What are some of the keys to overcoming this? That's not just true for kids, right? That's true for everybody making content in our industry. And um, it's one of my most frustrating conversations when you ask somebody, what are you watching? And they tell you something they love, and then you ask them where they're watching it, and they never remember, and, unless they're in the industry. And that feels so hard for all of us who've grown up in this world, because we've worked so hard to make them memorable. But I think it, it speaks to the need. You, uh, we've underplayed, I think, the value of marketing and PR in the last, you know, sort of uh, streaming-driven generation. It really matters. You know, when you watch how well movies perform and they're well marketed and how that marketing that happens for theaters really translates then into the streaming window for movies that have been pre-warmed, right, as they used to be for Blockbuster 100 years ago. So it, I think we've undervalued the importance of marketing and marketing is a craft like anything else. And when it's done really well, it really matters. And when it's done stupidly, it's stupid. So I think good marketing really matters. Good PR really matters. And then always our best marketing is our content, right? It has to be distinctive back to the conversation we had a second ago. And too much content that looks too much like everything else is very hard to get discovered because it doesn't stand out. And so whatever, Hire good marketing people, hire good PR people, spend some money, but also make content that's worthy of, of the investment. And with this content that is worthy of the investment, it's still an increasingly fragmented marketplace. So what's an ideal rollout strategy in terms of platforms, but then also consumer touch points? Yeah, I think you know these days you have such an opportunity to use sampling as your best marketing technique. And almost every show we know that's successful for kids and not for kids does well across multiple, multiple platforms. Um, there was a show like Friends, right, which has been distributed across know, five or six cable networks, multiple streamers. When you look at the ratings data on uh, 
how many people overlap from platform to platform, it's almost non-existent. People usually pick their platform and they pick the show they want to watch on that platform, even if it's available in multiple places. And I've seen that research repeated over many, many shows for children, for teens, for adults. Therefore, one would think that the best and ideal uh, strategy is to get it as many places as possible. And I think it also used to be easier to make money as a content creator uh, than it is today. And so a place like YouTube, while wonderful for exposure, is not a great place to make money unless you're a very successful influencer. And so using a place like YouTube for exposure, but finding a more traditional or a more uh, well-paying platform for how you monetize your content also seems key to keeping the ecosystem viable. Let's talk a little bit more about YouTube. Where does YouTube fit into rollouts and discoverability these days? What, in your view, is the best way for brand owners to utilize that platform, either placing full episodes or teasers, spinoffs, or a combination thereof? I think it's E, right? All of the above. And it is um, it is a fantastic platform for getting stuff exposed. And as I said a minute ago, it's not a fantastic platform for making your content pay back. And so... Just knowing that when you go in and knowing that it's good to put episodes up so people get to fall in love and using this the teasers we all know how to make in order to get people to come back for more, but then putting them somewhere else, which will be the home base or home basis for your show, I think has to be a piece of the of the puzzle. Tell me about the work that Piff and Pixie Dust is doing, working with companies on attracting younger audiences and really integrating storytelling. And how are you leveraging your past experience and that of your co-founder, Trisha Melton, who you worked with at Warner Brothers Discovery, for this new venture? Yeah, Trisha and I got to work together at Warner and at, at Disney. And she's a she's an amazing partner and a really talented marketer. And part of the job that I think we think is first and foremost for us is we talk about ourselves as transformation ninjas. We've spent an awful lot of time in a very dynamic entertainment business that caused you to be really good at change management. Otherwise, you couldn't do your job properly. And so... Everybody, unfortunately or fortunately these days, needs to transform, whether it's your complete business strategy or just figuring out a different way to get a show exposed to the public or uh, finding a new way to expand your your line of business or your, your audience size. And so that's, I think, that's sort of what we try to do. And the key tool, we believe, is narrative. Um, there's a simple test we use about why narrative makes sense. And if I ask, I think you will pass this test. If I ask you to tell me the story of your first kiss, I'm very confident you could do so. If I ask you to tell me what's on your grocery list from last weekend, I'm pretty confident you can't. The, we, we like to say facts tell, but stories sell. We, re, we think in narrative and whether that's really what your business strategy is, your brand strategy, how you bring content to the fore in order to make this true. If the people who work at your company or the people who buy your products and services understand who you are, the story of your entity, you're going to be much more successful. And so that's how we practice our business. And the reason we talk about young audiences a lot is that, um, I think to paraphrase Wayne Gretzky, they are the puck, right? If you know where young people are, you know what the future looks like. They always adapt, adopt platforms first. They have a great ability to forecast for us in real time where we're going. And so it doesn't. Um, we're happy to work with people who are serving young audiences, but we also use young audiences as a way to tell uh, other businesses to understand the future for their more adult services. You know, Gen A which I think these days is people under 14, although those numbers always move around. But I read the other day, it's going to be the biggest generation in history. I think there's 3 million of them born every week. There's about 2 billion of them already in the in the world. Um, young people are the biggest audience in the world, and they are really important to understand, not just for the present, but for the future. And so we use that as a really important part of how we, how we conduct our business. 
digging in a little deeper to that idea of change management, what message do you have for IP owners about how best to navigate the challenges in today's kids' content marketplace? Um, Buckle up. It's going to be a minute. Um, This is not going to be an easy time for any of us. Um, But it's okay, right? We always go through tumultuous times. And the, the, the sort of truism that's for, that's always been so is still so, right? Being great is your best strategy and trying to find ways to make sure you're digging deep to find the creative that inspires you and will inspire the audience. Over time, it's always your best strategy. And I think that it is less clear about how we're going to bring that forward. And I think, therefore, the other thing to remember is whatever got us here is probably not going to get us there. And so be great, but be also forward-looking. And that's back to look at the audience, understand what they're caring about, Make sure you're anticipating, not just chasing. Works better. What are those bright spots that you see in the industry that they should keep an eye on for 2024 and 2025? And maybe I'll answer your question a little uh, diagonally, which is this is a time I think that we are going to be challenged, right, as we've been talking about. And it is the time when people with the best imaginations and the greatest tolerance for risk are going to win. And so... I think this is the time to really put on your inventor hat and your maverick hat. It's the people who are going to triumph. And I personally love those times. There's that Warren Buffett saying, which is right, when people are very confident, it's when he sells. And when people are very scared, it's when he buys. And I think if we think about that for us all metaphorically, everybody's scared. So let's dig in. This is a time to build and a time to triumph. And there are great moments in our industry when momentum came out of nowhere and it was... For me, my personal history, right? it was Nickelodeon in the 90s. It became Disney in the 2000s. Cartoon 2010s, Coco Mel and Ryan's played it on YouTube, came out of nowhere for those of us who were more used to it. I remember when Pixar showed up and changed the way animation happened into the Spider-Verse is a more recent example and so on and so forth, right? It is a, it is a moment when invention, it's never the wrong moment to be inventive and it's never the wrong moment to figure out how to dig into your entrepreneurial spirit. So... That's what I that's what I'm looking for, I guess, in the next couple of years. Those of us who are ready to dig in, be inventive, take some risk, I think we'll all be really well rewarded. Tom, this has been a great discussion with so much valuable insight. So I want to thank you for joining us for the TV Kids Festival. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate it.